welcome to Great Quarter Guys for this week. My name's Kevin Hill. Here, my co-host as always, Andrew Cox, here in the, the booth with me. And uh, this is where Great Quarter Guys, it's where finance meets freight. We talk uh, about a lot of financial issues. We do some company breaks down, some stocks. Uh, we have an action-packed hour for you today. Basically, we have two interviews coming in or calling in. Uh, the, the first is Bill Vitti from Truck Stop talking about their new partnership with Knight Swift and talking about the really the, the freight matching wars. So technology is, is, is allowing freight matching to, to happen uh, at an accelerating pace, and we're going to talk to Bill about that. And then at 2.35, I think, uh, we're going to have Peter Rensler. On the phone, he was down in sunny Miami last week talking to, uh, or down at the Stiefel Conference, where most of the, certainly the public trucking and logistics companies gather, as well as private private players in the in the space. And uh, they have a, a huge transportation conference down in, in Miami Beach, and he has some takeaways from from that. So uh, to, to get the ball rolling, uh, we'll call Bill in a few minutes, but let's talk about freight brokerage Q4 results of freight brokerages and kind of what it tells us uh, about the market, Andrew. Sure, Kevin. Yeah, we, we published a report last week that was kind of an up, an update to our report that we wrote back, I think it was in September, which was freight brokerage th- through the cycle. This was an update to that where we look at gross margins and revenue uh, and all of the financial uh, statistics there from all the publicly traded brokers. Uh, and we just kind of get an update, you know, on what our, how our models uh, played out uh, against the actual uh, what other results that came in. And our models were, were a little bit uh, optimistic, I think. Our, our, we expected, uh, you know, revenues to be down in somewhere like the 6% range. They mm-hmm. came back on average down 13%. So it's been a, it was a really tough quarter for, break, for freight brokerages. I think that, that time in the cycle where their margins really get compressed happened quicker than we were uh, really expecting this time around. It is an extended uh, part of phase C of the cycle where contract rates are still falling, spot rates are have either leveled off or they're raising a, a touch, and you know it really foreshadows for the next three four months. You're going to see that action where spot market rates probably should rise, especially seasonality uh, plays into it. Once we get into the warmer months, the contract rates probably won't see year over year increase and in churn until about a three to six month lag. Um, as things get rebid in the market, and you're going to see a lot of margin compression, hopefully on on higher load volumes. So that's, that's kind of part of the cycle where load volumes do increase, margins compress, uh, and um, and actually revenue per truck or revenue per load, I should say, increases. On top of that, I'm I'm actually glad you brought up the volume portion uh, because in, in our in the report, Seth makes a note that uh, according to Outbound Tender Volume Index, our OTVI, uh, one of our breadwinners here at Freightways, it volumes were up four and a half percent year over year, but the publicly traded brokers saw contract volumes uh, saw volumes contract actually three point six percent. So yeah. this means you know that that they're actually losing some market share uh, to some of the smaller brokerages or even some of these digital uh, startups and and players in that space. What do you think? Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. They, they are losing market market share based on really technology. So, so technology and the digital freight brokers just coming in, uh, buying market share uh, on that. And you saw some players uh, that that had really really rough quarters, like 20 percent down on gross revenues year over year from Q4 2018 to Q4 2019, which is a really tough quarters. Uh, you know, he had uh, places like XPO who did really well. Um, you know, basically only a, about a 70 basis points drop. You saw that with Echo too. You had other, other freight brokerages that had, you know, double digit drops year over year in, in gross margin percentage. I think you've seen the case where uh, some of these diversified players have been able to pull different levers uh, to really keep themselves out of the weeds. You know, TFI International just this past week they kind of leaned more heavily on their uh, on the freight side of things on the on the truckload transportation side, uh, while their brokerage got got hammered uh, in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. But they were able to kind of make up for some of that loss and actually kept things relatively flat year over year because of kind of pulling that lever on the on the truckload side. Yeah, and on the truckload side they did really well, especially in the U.S. market where they rang the I think New York Stock Exchange. Bell last week they they offered uh, public equity in their their U.S. division. Uh, it's a Canadian-based firm on the U.S. division. They 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 um, they, they offered public equity. So 
I think they were they were pretty well flat year over year in in the U.S. market, which is very good as we saw through all the um, truckload carriers who have reported earnings so far. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It's 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 been a tough quarter, uh, you know, and things probably aren't going to get any better anytime soon. Uh, we're probably going to have another rough quarter or two before things try to start to pick up, uh, which is one thing we'll talk to Peter about later on about the the Stiefel conference. Is one of his takeaways was that the kind of resounding uh, feeling moving forward is that there is going to be a capacity crunch. There's going to be some sort of tightening, especially when this coronavirus kind of uh, runs its course. And, uh, and and we have, they're expecting it to kind of run its course here at the end of May or early April yeah. when that produce comes it, in. So it's going to... Yeah. And, and Brian Strait has an article on freight waves that, that's gotten a ton of views about that through the, I think it was the ACT uh, conference that he attended um, last week, and that, the same sentiment that it was going to be back half recovery. Um, you know, and, and once we get closer to the the, the interview with Peter, but but the, the Stiefel conference is always interesting. I was down there in 2018, uh, where everyone was talking about a new normal. It's going to be a new normal. Uh, there's a huge um, uh, a pool for for labor to, to get drivers in the seats to capture these. Uh, uh, amazing rates that, that were in the market in February of 2018 and uh, 2019 I went and it was kind of the opposite story it's just it wasn't quite opposite stories like this is a little downturn a little blip in the market and it will correct course uh, very shortly because it was really at the beginning of of the truck market crash uh, for fast forward it into 2020 um, I'd like to see you know definitely hear Peter's take uh, on, on that. Yeah, I'd like to hear Peter's take. I heard uh, Mike uh, Bowdendistel here say something that really piqued my interest a couple of days ago. He says, uh, when everybody has this expectation for capacity to tighten up later on, it actually keeps things artificially loose for longer because drivers are thinking, oh, I want a piece of that action when it finally does tighten exactly. up. Exactly. So it keeps them in the market. So I'd like to see what Peter says about that moving forward. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I guess it would be uh, for, for capacity to, to tighten up, I guess it would be a better strategy to, to really go doomsday. Yeah, tell everybody that it's going to be loose forever. Forever. Get, them out, of the get out of the market. You know, there's never, ever going to be any more money made in, in the <laughs> right. trucking market again. Right. See everyone exit and then capture those rewards now. But uh, yeah. that, that doesn't always happen, right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same in the stock market, right? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, the exact same, uh, you know, be be greedy when others are, are, are weak or yeah. whatever the whatever the thing yeah, is. Yeah, it's but, uh, buy when there's blood in the streets, right, as right. they the, say. The spoils of war. The, the, the spoils of war, yeah. definitely. Well, let's, um, let's go ahead and call Bill. Yeah. Cool. So I'll give you a little background on Bill before he gets in, and then he can tell us a little bit about himself. Uh, Bill has been with Truck Stop for over five years now. He is the chief commercial officer, has been uh, his entire tenure there. Before that, he was the president of Swift Logistics before the merger with uh, with Knight. Um, and then before that, he was actually the VP of Transplace. So he worked with our uh, beloved president, Mr. George Abernathy, George Abernathy. there for, for a couple of years before George headed off. And... Uh, and here, here he is coming in. I hope we can hear him soon. Um, but uh, the yeah, the announcement is that Knight Swift is uh, is integrating the book it now. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. This is uh, Kevin Hill over at Freight Waves on Great Quarter Guys. How are you doing? Hey, Kevin. Great. How are you? Good. 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 I'm joined here with Andrew Cox. And uh, hi, Andrew. Yeah. Hello, Bill. Yeah. So very good. Exciting news that came out today for for Truck Stop. We wanted to have you on. To, to discuss freight matching and kind of, you know, definitely the trajectory uh, of where that trend is, is, is it is where it is now and where it's trending in the future. But I guess um, let's take a second and let you introduce yourself and, and truck stop. Great, great. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And yeah, we're thrilled about this partnership with Knight Swift and uh, the, the path forward here. And really also excited about the the, the innovation that it brings to the industry as a whole and the ability to help our two key personas, which are brokers and owner operators, carriers be more successful. So yeah, that's definitely the goal. And we're all over that. And, uh, and, and it's great to be a partner with someone like Knight Swift, who's just a well-known industry leader, household name, and uh, certainly an innovator. So look forward to talking more about that. Uh, but I'm Bill Biddy. I'm the chief commercial officer for truckstop.com. I've been with truckstop for, I've been about four and a half years now, and it's interesting, and it's just a, somewhat of a coincidence, but uh, prior to coming to Truck Stop, I was actually the head of uh, the brokerage there at, uh, at Swift Logistics. So definitely know that uh, business well and the team there, and 
it's just amazing, you know, how things come full circle and great to partner with them again. Uh, and just a little bit about truck stop. Uh, we're a 25 year, 25 year old SaaS company, which is basically unheard of. Uh, at the time that Scott Mosca, our founder, launched the business, he literally could have had any name out there in the marketplace. So first one, first load board uh, on the internet. And uh, over the 25 years, we've been very focused on the same, really the same path throughout that time period where our vision and mission has always been bringing success and eliminating waste and friction between brokers and, and carriers. And we've always thought that if we can help, especially the, the owner operators and carriers to be more successful, uh, to find ways to make our lives easier and solve big pain points for them, that we will help the broker community with serving them better and connecting them better, those partnerships. So we very much take pride in being a neutral marketplace uh, that connects brokers and carriers together and, and help helps build relationships and trust. And um, we've expanded our, our business over the years. Uh, certainly we, um, we have about 600 employees now. We're based in uh, five different locations, primarily at Boise, Idaho, uh, and New Plymouth, Idaho, which is our, uh, where the company's based out of, uh, it's a small town outside, about 45 minutes north of Boise. And, and then we have a, an office here in Phoenix, which is where I'm based. And likewise in, uh, Chicago is, is primarily our tech center. So we, on a daily basis, we have about 400,000 to a million, uh, loads. Uh, right now it's at average about 400,000 loads a day that we help connect. So we're bringing, uh, just immense density to the marketplace and offering options for both uh, brokers and carriers uh, to move freight more efficiently. That's great, Bill. That's great. Yeah, Uh, very good. Very good. So you guys have been kind of in pilot programs and enrolling the the Book It Now app in in TruckStop out for a few months now. Are are you fully live yet? I mean, is this, are you fully live now selling it to uh, brokers of all sizes? Yeah, good question. So we started initially, um, We've been working with a number of key partners. We have a customer advisory board. We've been developing this uh, for a couple of years now, actually, the, the, the concept and how we would build it to get together for not just one customer, but for the entire marketplace. So both the broker side and making sure that it's a great user experience uh, for both sides of the equation, right? The carriers as well. And uh, so we have worked with quite a few customers on the broker side to, to think through, well, how do we make this happen for the, the whole marketplace? Our first beta and pilot group was uh, with, with uh, Schneider Logistics, and they were just a fantastic partner through that. We launched that successfully uh, at the end of last year and have been rolling forward with them. So it, it is live. Uh, we've been adding additional customers. We had a, a press release with uh, Redwood Logistics recently, and um, we're excited to have you know, Redwood's another great name, household name in the industry. And now here with uh, Knight Swift, who's certainly a, a leader in the space. So very excited about that. We are uh, live. Uh, Knight Swift has actually added uh, a number of carriers um, into the, uh, they've, they've gone live with over 10,000 carriers that they're exposing uh, book and now rates to. And uh, we're, we're moving forward with other brokerages as well right now. So yeah, we're active and, and live and we have a long list of, Brokers that uh, were in, uh, in different states of the sales cycle with that lot of excitement about around Book It Now and what it can do to enable a broker to be more successful. So I, I, I do, you know, just the Book It Now, the automatic, automated freight matching, it kind of says that you're, you're eliminating some of the, the manual processes, you know, the phone calls uh, that, that you go through. Um, as a broker on, on any load board or, or private uh, directive that you have, to to uh, to define quality carriers. So, on on Book It Now, uh, is there no negotiating prices? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, good question. So, you know, I think we always start with looking at our carrier, the owner operator, and their experience first. And if you put yourself in their in their shoes, uh, it's amazing that we have four hundred thousand loads a day for a carrier to look like, look at. Uh, but can you imagine how overwhelming that is for them as well, right? So, oh, yeah. how do we make it? Uh, a better experience and, you know, that selection process, uh, more effective. And also if you're a carrier, a lot of times it's, it's, um, intimidating to pick up the phone, which is, there's usually friction with that. And I have to stop what I'm doing and pick up the phone, make a phone call to a broker that I may or may not know and negotiate that rate. And, you know, there's just an awful lot of friction there. And also, you know, beyond being friction, there's a lot of long-term relationships that are, are established between brokers and carriers 
And if you think about, uh, you know, the way we think about it is we're providing an Amazon-like experience where, you know, we've all grown accustomed to. I use Amazon almost every day here to buy something that I, many times things I didn't think I needed, but uh, <laughs> the ability to view just massive marketplace and then just click and buy what I want, right? Versus having the eBay kind of experience where I have to negotiate or wait or, or, or see, um, you know, how things play out over time. And that's experience. We did some testing. We actually have a, uh, our own TMS system called ITS dispatch. We have over 6,000 customers on that platform. And we actually did a test on, on, um, on dispatch, um, about a year ago where we initially started, uh, this book and now process, um, we started with negotiation first. So we had a rate out there and we had a click to negotiate and chat and, or pick up the phone and make a phone call. And what we quickly found out is that that's not the experience carriers are looking for. They're looking for, they know their business. They know the, the uh, CLO they want, there's interest in, uh, they probably see a carrier, a broker partner that uh, they want to work with as well. And they just want to be able to click that on that load with a fair market rate on it and uh, just just drive, right? So it, uh, we find that uh, carriers on average spend about three and a half to four hours a day searching for good freight, which is, you think about that time they're spending doing that and the, the productivity losses from that that experience and what this uh, book and now feature can do. And then, then eventually the overall uh, digital freight matching roadmap it's a game changer for the industry and for both carriers and brokers. As, as a former freight broker, I, I know the, the friction involved in, in, in using any, any tool, you know, load boards and, and the negotiation. So that's, that's good that it will say it should save a lot of time. Andrew, you have a question? Yeah, I do. Hey, Bill, um, you know, t- to me from the outside, it seems like it's a, you know, there's also a big reward that comes with it, but there is a big risk in going after uh, and partnering with some of these, you know, these behemoths in, uh, in the transportation industry. Can you, can you discuss you guys' decision-making process on, you know, why going after and partnering with companies like Knight Swift and, uh, and Schneider rather than going after some of these smaller uh, players? Is it, is it the need to develop uh, liquidity in, in, the, in, the, in the network or what, what's your decision-making process there? Yeah, that's a great question. And we spent a lot of time Thinking about the partners we selected, uh, there's there's been a lot of industry uh, buzz around booking now, the idea of just clicking to buy the freight, right? And a lot of desire for that. And that that's certainly evolved over the last year. It was interesting when we first started talking about this, even to our own customer advisory board. Uh, so we had 25, 30 brokers that we have in that group. And as we talked to them, there was some resistance to the concept. And hey, this is, you know, we need the phone call, right? We want a phone call happened to the shift where, oh yeah, it's going to happen. That's, that's evolved over the last year, especially the last uh, six months or so. We've really seen a shift in the thought process there. And so we've been looking at the different customers to work with. Um, if you think about the, the list of uh, companies, uh, so we have certainly Snyder, uh, Night Swift, uh, we have Redwood. And there's a long list of customers behind that. Uh, we also, what you're not seeing right now, which you will soon, is a number of small to mid-sized brokerages coming on as well. We want to make sure this is a book it now and our digital freight matching roadmap is something that works for the entire ecosystem here, not just for the big uh, the big players in the, in the space. But with that, we you know we definitely wanted to bring in some some large players like Knight Swift that have great respect in the industry. Same true with Redwood and, and Schneider that when they do things, people listen, right? If we can get some of the big players to help us with our tech roadmap, making sure it works for them, but also there are companies that think holistically that, hey, this needs to be good for everyone. And we want to make sure we have that selection criteria set up. So we're really uh, thoughtful with our approach, but you will start seeing the, the mid-size, the small brokerages coming on board here shortly. We have a number of those that are just going live uh, as we're speaking here. So uh, excited to announce those and Again, we want to make sure we're helping everyone. And I think that's really the big piece of uh, what we're excited about. Truck stops always taking the position that we're a neutral marketplace. We want to help really all, all boats rise here with the tide. And we think we're in a great position to do that. That we, you know, If you think about who out there, which brokers are tech savvy that have big uh, IT departments and development part, uh, departments that they could build their own book at now, uh, it's a pretty small list of, you know, it's probably 10 to 20 brokers that can do that. But then you think about the density, even if they could build it, do they have enough density to really attract the carriers they, that they need, right? To make this uh, exciting for a carrier to, to go look at it every single day. Yeah. It's so a, that's it takes a lot of scale, help, right? The whole industry right there. 
Absolutely. Was, yeah. That's it's, where the 400,000 loads a day come in play. Yeah, I was just—I was going to mention to Kev, Kevin, you guys—you you guys remind me of almost the uh, the Roku approach to uh, to streaming. You, the, the Switzerland, the neutral, uh, the neutral player that doesn't doesn't piss off every anybody, then is willing to uh, to work with anybody. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we we take a lot of pride in that. We've uh, been—I think something that's, I, that the market understands is that we've been consistent for 25 years. Our roadmap has always been very transparent, very clear that we have two parties that we're trying to help rise up, and that's carries on our operators. That's really our core focus. And, and then the other party is brokers. And if we can serve the carrier very well, and uh, that's going to serve our brokers extremely well. So we've always been neutral in Switzerland and you know, take very, very good care of that, uh, that position in the marketplace. On the broker side. So basically the uh, going back to liquidity out there. So, so if a small and medium sized brokerage um, does book it now, can they only see the carriers that are, you know, normally in their network that are set up in their system, uh, is is that how it works right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way the way book it now works uh, in this this initial phase, right? So the, the exciting part is this is really phase one. Is that the brokers uh, this book it now is their book it now. It's their digital freight matching, right? It's, you know, mm-hmm. we're just the platform that's helping them connect. We're the connective tissue for them. It's their decision making. Uh, and again, it, so the way it works right now is that the brokers tell us which carriers um, they, they want to, um, that are booking now eligible and they uh, give us, they provide that they have real time APIs or they can upload that um, on a daily basis or whatever time element they want to. And then uh, they have a mark, fair market rate that they do the research the broker does and provides the, the rate for that load that they have. And as they post that it's only visible to those carriers that are booking now eligible. So uh, it, it, they know that that load likely be covered. They, they know it's, that it'll be covered by that. Uh, for the most part, nine out of 10 times will be covered by that core set of uh, carriers, but they're not sure which one that is, right? So to be able to post it and have it visible to only that, that group, it's really gonna increase productivity for them. So really the brokers are in full control of that. The other cool part is that if a carrier is not in that, uh, ecosystem. So if the, the broker hasn't approved a carrier, they'll see the load, a, a carrier will see a load and um, they'll be able to onboard if they're not eligible from that broker. It's a great marketing tool because the carrier will then be able to go and onboard, really just click a link and go through that onboarding process of that the broker has, right? So that's just another uh, tool to help bring more capacity solutions to the broker and also more connectivity from on the carrier side. Hey Bill, so what is the uh, what's the end game for Book It Now? What does this look like three, five, ten years down the road? Yeah, so it's a it's an exciting question. Uh, we actually have a vision video. If you haven't had a chance to check that out, uh, I'd love to share that. And we have a we took a view. Uh, we is this a voice activated? Uh, of, Sorry, is this yeah, a voice a, activated yeah, video? Yeah, yeah, you okay. guys actually wrote an article mm-hmm. about that, and you know that's that's a, a view of what it could look like. But we tried to. To, to play out, well, how does this look the interaction between a, a carrier and the broker? And certainly there still is quite a bit of interaction. There's a deeper relationship. There's better understanding of both parties, their needs and wants. And and actually with Book and Now, there's more time to spend on building relationships, right? So that's uh, a cool part. But you think about uh, voice, you think about being uh, predictive with uh, matching and in helping both the carrier and the broker set their preferences and what they really like to do. Um, and match, you know, having a better experience of matching and, and having the right loads to the right carrier at the right time. So visibility where they're located and then, uh, again, offering up loads. Uh, and also you think about on the carrier side, bringing new partnerships to those, uh, those carriers based on their profile. So a lot of it has to do with profiling and understanding the marketplace better. And I think truck stops in a great position that we have great visibility, uh, through our density of who are our carriers, who are our brokers, what are the preferences, what business do they have? You know, if you're an owner operator, a lot of times they'll go through an onboarding profile and they'll say, hey, I operate in all 50 states or all 48 states, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. the reality is they have three trucks. Most of the market has three trucks and they yeah. really don't, right? So it's it's understanding them better and they're in, in serving up um, better offerings to meet their needs. Yeah, that's definitely a tough challenge, uh, narrowing down exact lanes uh, of carriers and, and kind of going through that that process, definitely. You speak like you have experience Absolutely. in that, Kevin. I, I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've called a lot of carriers and gotten that information from from quite a few of them. So I I, I know how difficult of task uh, that is, definitely. Um, 
Yeah. So, so Bill, yeah. uh, hey, one thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. oh go ahead. Oh, it's a, one thing is, uh, it's interesting. If you think about uh, the, the carrier persona, most carriers and owner operators, most of the industry is based on rate per mile, right? That's mm-hmm. the, is, is you have an all in, all in rate or you have a rate per mile. Um, and they're basing their selection based on that, um, uh, on, on the carrier side. And a lot of times they don't understand their, their own profitability. So mm-hmm. carriers are making decisions, uh, based on an all in rate or rate per mile, yet they don't understand their, their actual cost structure, uh, to back into, is this a good load or not? Right. And is yeah. it a good market to be going to? And it sounds like a good load, but when I get there, I'll be stuck in Florida. I'll never get out of there. Right. And I'll take a, a terrible load or sit there for a few days. And so helping with those insights, uh, there's a huge amount of opportunity there. There is bring, yeah, better, better insights and better decision quality. And that's a big part of what we're doing. Hey, Bill, when uh, when you guys announced the uh, the iconic uh, kind of capital injection back last year, I remember somebody from Truckstop saying this is yeah. just going to help us do everything that we do faster. So I was just going to ask you, how do you think that the, the iconic capital injection has uh, sped up things thus far? And, and you know, how has it helped you guys? Yeah. And, and where where is it going to take you in the next, uh, let's say, in 2020? Right. Well, thanks for asking. And iconic's been a fantastic partner for us. Uh, they're a private equity group out of San Francisco and the thing we loved, you know, we went through the, the process here of selecting a, a private equity group. We had a minority uh, investor, which was Bergal Sage Mount, did a great job to help us grow, really build out our com- commercial engine here to uh, to reach our customers better and offer more consultative solutions. Uh, what we loved when we went through process, um, when it was time for Sage Mount to exit, uh, looking for new partners, it's really about our product roadmap. And we felt like in our neutral marketplace position that if we have a partner that, that has been there, done that, that has scaled companies from the point we're at to, you know, uh, to really build out the full vision here of the future, the three to five year vision, that that's a partner we want to be with. And someone that gets it, someone that believes in what we're doing, someone that's betting on the brokers to win and betting on the, you know, finding ways to help the carriers. Uh, that's what we were looking for. And with Iconic, we really found that they were the most aggressive in terms of uh, believing in what we're doing, believing in our leadership team, believing in our roadmap, and also the most exciting in terms of uh, who is behind uh, the iconic group. And so it's kind of the, the who's who of uh, Silicon Valley working with us from a, so from uh, the perspective of they're enabling us to move faster, to bring capital, certainly anyone can bring money to the table, but, the combination of bringing money to invest and hire, we've hired over a hundred de- developers and, and product folks since they joined us in April, but to have the insight and have the network to drop in and help us uh, to actually get there as a partner, they've done a fantastic job of that. So they're a majority investor, but they are treating us like a minority. They're, they believe in our roadmap and they're helping us to accelerate. And it's, it's really played out well. And you'll see us continuing to move faster um, in terms of bringing development out and, uh, in the, the waves of advancements, that, you know, that come after uh, the Night Swift integration and, and other deals that are in the works right now. Well, that sounds fabulous, Bill. It, it really does. Um, thank you for joining us today. It's been great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate it. I appreciate Night Swift and all they've done, and we're looking forward to the next phases with them, which is you know probably opening up to uh, their owner operators, their uh, the Night Swift uh, owner operators themselves, which brings additional solutions. So really appreciate the partnership with Shannon and uh, and the rest of the team there at, uh, at Night Swift. So All right, Bill. Them. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, watching the phase two roll out of this, I guess, in the next couple of months. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank right. you. Take care. A hundred right, new good. devs. That's crazy. I know, right? That that is that is. I mean, that money. What was it like? It? August when they when they announced that money or the uh, summer? Uh, right before TIA last year. So early April okay, or it so might have been March. Thought, but geez, yeah, yeah. So less than a year. Yeah, less than a year ago. Coming right devs. up into a year. Yeah, hundred devs. Oh, that's that's bunker numbers. It, it, it is definitely so. All right, we're very good. Let's talk about the DHL supply chain pricing power index. We need to steal the button from what the truck so we can have some cool music in. Like you know, they have the they have the cool DHL I know, right? button. We need to. We need. To I, I know. We need. To, I, I don't even know what's loaded up. Yeah, here. Just, I'm, I'm, there's I'm, some I'm, cash I'm, registers and some fun things like that. But yeah, yeah. are you sure? I'm I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, I don't even know what's loaded in here right now. Uh, so I'm scared to even touch about. Nah, I don't know if it's us. Yeah, let's not mess with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the the DHL supply chain pricing power index again. It's our our measure of uh, of pricing power in bid negotiations between the carriers and the shippers. They are always fighting back and forth. 
this week we didn't really have much data to to persuade us uh, to move it in, in any direction. So we kept it at twenty five. At twenty five, which is uh, very low. Yeah, so it's zero, a lot of the power to the yep. to the shippers. Yeah, there. zero is complete power to the shippers. Fifty is balanced, and a hundred is complete power to the carriers. We're at twenty five. Uh, though we are in February, and you know, basically shippers do have have the power this time of year. Um, not quite this much every year, but last year they did, and and this year they do as well. So we'll see how March and April get into produce season. We'll see what the what happens with the coronavirus. It's even, I, I mean, I don't even know day to day. It it kind of changes so rapidly. Um, one of the things that, that I keep seeing in the, the headlines is that ships are leaving China 10% full. You know, the, the ones that are, you know, half of the sellings are getting canceled, I mm-hmm. think. I saw a press release uh, last night uh, about that, that half the, you know, in some cases, half the shipments are just being canceled and the other half are, are well below 100%. What do you make of that? Andrew? No, I, I mean, I make of that, uh, you know, I think Lorianne said it best last week, even though even when some of these factories get opened back up, the, the workers that work in these factories are often day laborers that come from many miles away from different parts of the country that are still under quarantine, that aren't able to leave. There's no public transport. Uh, and then once even they get those people back into the factory to start to start building yeah. things, you have the drayage workers, you have the transportation people that drive it from the uh, from the manufacturer to the port, which are still in the same are in the same boat. They're day laborers and they live miles and miles away. So uh, even once they get operations back open, you, you still have to wait until the full, full quarantine is gone and the, all the lockdowns are gone, all of the public transport is open back up before you have any type of relief uh, for this manufacturing sector in China. I, I know, and it's, it's going to be heavily competitive to see who gets in, in, the, in the slots. Yeah, and right? the first in the slots, slots come so in the U.S. I, I don't think a lot point. of people realize this, and... So, so basically, almost every fishing reel you buy in, in the in the U.S. is made overseas. Here's just a random, a random, random, random Kevin Hill thought it. I, I know, right? Another another job that you've done in the past some, at some yeah, point. Exactly. <laughs> so you have all these big brands of fishing reels. They're all made overseas, right? They're all made in like the same six or eight factories that they just remove the do they, they change out the dye packs or mm-hmm. the not dye packs but the dye molds or whatever yeah. they use to manufacture manufacture these. Um, so, so basically you have all these competitors who are manufacturing their, their reels and rods in the same factories in, in China. So there's, it's going to be intense competition to, to get your product up, to get produced, get on a ship, get to the U.S., Certainly, I mean, like right now, they've all been made, really, because it's the working on inventory, working on inventory, but getting that all that shipped over, you're probably going to see a lot of late shipments now uh, for for those late Um, shipments, expensive shipments. Yeah. But all the Christmas orders is going to be who's going to get the slot. Yeah. But right now it's just getting, you know, especially for fishing, who's going to get inventory in because right now is 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 prime time coming in March, April. And basically by May, it's pretty well done because everyone's bought the, their gear for the year. Yeah, so I don't know if we've written anything about it, but that we've had, I, I think somebody wrote something about the, uh, or Duna at least mentioned to me about the new, um, this new peak season that's going to happen when everything gets from China yeah. to here. It's going to be moved up or, or back depending on when they get open and everything. But, you know, right now we, we don't have enough workers working in the Chinese manufacturers uh, or the manufacturing plants and the drayage ports. But when that stuff gets to the U.S., it doesn't seem like we're going to have enough people uh, to, to to care for all the stuff that's coming in because there's going to be, you know, yeah. it's going to be expedited stuff and and there all the shipments a, that should have been made for the last two months. Yeah, there's going to be a huge bottleneck once right. once things really get operational again. There is going to be a bottleneck. I, I really do believe that, and it is going to put a squeeze on put a squeeze on shippers. It's going to be good news for anyone who uh, specializes in expedited. So that's a, that's one market to to really look out for. And we're coming up on 235. I'm going to call our friend Peter Rinsler from Carrier Direct. That is right. Uh, Carrier Direct is, of course, our partner on this show. They help us out uh, with a lot of the research. Uh, Diane Co. I got to give her a shout out. She has yeah. uh, been a, a blessed help to us doing this show. Uh, so yeah, he was down at the Stiefel Conference down in Miami, which uh, you know Stiefel is, of course, an investment bank and a um, and a research firm. And we, we've got a couple ex Stiefel people here at Freightwaves. Um, and every year they do they do a big conference in Miami where they have sixty or seventy of the largest companies. I think Peter may have answered. Peter, are you there? Hey, hey, what's up, man? Hey, Andrew. Hey, Kevin. How are you? 
Good. How are you doing, Peter? I'm great. It's uh, the sun is the sun is shining. It's great just with their presence in Chicago, which is nice. And um, I was actually I've actually been listening to the first half of the podcast. It was great to hear great to hear Bill on talking about some of the. The, the book it now products and and whatnot. So I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm having a great day. Yeah, very good. Let's let's start out there because um, you're you're the you're a technology consultant in freight brokerage in all transportation, right? Freight brokerage carriers. And um, what are your thoughts on on book it now and digital freight I mean, I, matching in general? Yeah, so you know, I, I think the um, I think that that the book it now product is a great example of 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 a technology product that is targeted at that, that has applications for large scale businesses, but also allows small and medium brokerages and carriers to, to stay competitive with the larger companies that have more CapEx and higher technology budgets. Um, you know, I, I would say that as, as we look at, we do a lot of, we do a lot of uh, like that, like, a, like market studies and evaluation on what technology is out in the market. And I'd say, five years ago, it was almost unanimously, Hey, if you want it, you have to build it because there's, there just weren't a mm-hmm. lot of technology providers and the ones that, that did exist, you know, it was a lot of load boards and, and whatnot. And in, t- in today's market, you know, um, you can be a small business, a small broker, a small carrier and, and cobble together, um, some really interesting complementary products from the market and create, you know, really great technology that, that can allow you to compete with the C.H. Robinsons and the Echoes of the world. And, and that wasn't really a possibility uh, even three or five years ago. So I, I'm bullish on it. Um, you know, from what I've, what I've heard, it sounds, um, it sounds like there are applications for small, medium, and large um, uh, capacity providers. And that's, that's what's exciting to me. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm all about, we get excited around anything that, allow, that, that drives competition and, and create kind of a level playing field so that so that these businesses can differentiate on service and quality and care. I agree I with that's you. That's exciting. Yeah, I definitely. I agree with you, Peter, on that. And that's a trend in VC funding, especially in the, the, the freight tech space that I've seen uh, over the last year or two, especially, is that the money is, is going into freight matching for your traditional brokers in your small market, medium market guys, uh, you know, maybe doing, you know, 20 million to a hundred million or $200 million in gross revenue is that that's where uh, VCs are, are headed, not so much to the digital freight brokers anymore, but to those tools, you know, like book it now that are focused on, on helping scale up, helping the, the smaller guys compete with, with, the, the freight brokers is out there that the larger ones that, that have the resources and the scale uh, to build it themselves. Yeah. You know, I think another example, another great example would be like, like Hubtrans um, that's focused on kind of back office automation and billing. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's a product that, you know, Coyote had homegrown. Uh, my understanding was that Coyote had some homegrown uh, kind of back office automation software that, you know, would kind of be a competitor to Hubtran, if you will. Like mm-hmm. Hubtran is someone that's going out and they've built, they've built some, some software that allows a middle market brokerage to, 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 to use some automation um, to drive efficiency at their business. Like, that's exciting. That is. It definitely is. So um, well, let's pivot to Stiefel. I want to all hear all about sure. the, the Stiefel Conference and, and to start off, what was the, the attitude this year? What was the uh, sentiment? Yeah. So, um, it's, I mean, always a great event. Uh, I missed last year's, but I've been to a couple before, you know, what's interesting is, um, couple observations. One, it seemed like in years past, there was a lot more like two years ago, probably half to two thirds of the audience was private equity. And this year it seemed like there were less private equity players. I think, you know, you got to think yeah. about two years ago, there was a lot, you know, you had like, you had Coyote, you had, um, I think the global, global trans was kind of doing their big capital injection from private equity. And, um, there was a lot of interest in the logistics space mm-hmm. and, you know, it's a little later cycle now, which y'all have talked about. Um, so certainly noticed that there was less private equity, just one observation. Second thing was, you know, in terms of overall mood, I mean, I, I would say it was hopeful, 
with a little, a little leery. Um, and specifically, you know, the hopeful side of it was, Hey, you know, it's going to be tough. I think everybody has, has accepted that it's going to be tough for the next two or three months. Um, market still started off fairly soft. Um, yes, there's things like the coronavirus and the drug and alcohol clearinghouse going into effect, but it's, but, but I think some of these are, are, are delayed impacts. Um, so, you know, folks kind of acknowledge that. And at the same time, I mean, the carriers unanimously believe that, that, this, that, that rates will increase this year. And, and particularly in the second half of the year, you know, um, and this has been consistent between the drug and alcohol clearinghouse and um, pulling, pulling eligible drivers off the road between the nuclear verdicts and, and insurance rates going up, pulling, um, causing more closures. And I, I think I saw there, you know, there were two, two more um, last week, you know, yeah, two more announced last week. Um, so, you know, unanimously kind of hopeful because carriers unequivocally believe that rates are going to go up the second half of this year. Now, brokerages uh, seem strong. And I would say that, you know, keep in mind that the audience, particularly of those presenting, is it's, it's mostly large public providers. And then there'll be a couple of panels with some private companies. Um, mm. The, the themes, theme in brokerage seem to be, hey, we are preparing for a lower margin future. And even if rates go up, um, you know, we still need to prepare, be prepared to move more freight with less people. So lots of discussion around investment in technology, investment in the future, um, not as much, uh, yeah. So, so not, not as much emphasis on maybe the people side of things as we would have expected, but, um, but lots, lots of, lots of focus on the future, um, and, and technology investment. So those were kind of the hopeful sides of it. The leery side is just, you know, there's certainly some, un, some uncertainty around how some of these, um, these contractor laws are going to shake out. Um, and then also, you know, what, what is the second half of the year? Like how do nuclear verdicts continue to play, um, to play out and, and kind of what's the need for tort reform. And I think that there's a little bit of leery and uneasiness across the industry as a result. And that, that was our hey, Peter, on, the, on the room. I, uh, I would like to say first off that I, uh, I'm on the side of the carriers. I do think things will get better here. Uh, maybe second half of 2020, but do you think, do you think people are buying into this recovery story because, you know, they need something to look forward to and things are that bad right now, or do they truly believe that there will be a band up, uh, in spot rates and that things will be better in the back half? You know, it's, it's an interesting question, right? Because, because you, you can't help but sit there, you know, at a, at a dinner or in a room full of freight executives who are all saying, yeah, the second half of the year is going to be better coming off of one of the worst years, um, <laughs> right. you know, the yeah. last couple of decades. So I think that that's totally fair. Like for me, from a data perspective, like the number of drivers that are being pulled off the road from the drug and alcohol clearing house, house that in and of itself, I mean, there, there's a world where if you look at the math and the sequencing that that could result in, a, in, you know, 40 or 50,000 drivers ineligible by the end of the year. And that's, um, that, that is something that we're going to look into at the end of the first quarter. We're going to get the first three months of numbers, and then we're going to do a free Intel research uh, report on that because we'll have enough, I, I think, enough stats to, to, to kind of project out, uh, you know, a full year uh, of results. And I'm very yeah, interested in seeing that myself. I'm interested to see that too. I mean, I you know, Andrew, to answer your question, you know, there's a part of me that I, I think that there are some people who are saying who are just kind of saying it. And I think if you look at the data, it supports the story and the theory. It's, it's not just, a, hey, we think things are going to be better. It's a, hey, between the between drug and alcohol clearinghouse, between insurance costs, driving carriers out of business, um, between driver, between the, the continued increasing age of drivers. I think that uh, I think that on the whole there's going to be a capacity shortage in the second half of the year. And I think that shippers are underprepared for that. So, Peter, on, on, on the people that you talk to down, down in Miami, though, the trucking executives and, and the brokers, just, do they have really good, compelling uh, analogies or, or color for capacity leaving the market? Or was it more of the new truck orders and other, other you know, bits and pieces that are, I guess those are analogous too, but 
Um, do they do they provide any better color uh, of what they're seeing, or if if they're really seeing capacity leave the market? You know, it, it, it's a great it's a great question because one of the questions that I always ask is, "Hey, you know, we 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 hear news about all these carriers going out of business. Have you actually seen any of your carriers go out of business?" Mm-hmm. And I would say. So my, my kind of summary point is that the tail end of 20, like the second half of 2019, when you were starting to see more closures, when I would ask, I didn't hear, you know, it tended to be, yeah, we haven't really seen anything. Um, this trip to Miami specifically, I had three different executives tell me that, yeah, actually someone, you know, this company that went out of business was a top 50 or a top 100 carrier of ours. So we are we are actually starting to see some real impact. Now I, I haven't heard, um, we haven't heard anything, anybody kind of cite the drug and alcohol clearing house, um, per se, but, but more so on, on the closures we did have, I had three specifically made a note of three executives telling me that, that, yeah, like we've actually noticed some of the carriers that we use more frequently are the ones being impacted by this. Yeah, I, I can, I, I can definitely say that I, Basically, we're always making calls to carriers, and we're seeing a higher, higher tick of of ones that have kind of closed up shop. You know, really smaller ones too, maybe five, six trucks, yeah. two trucks. Yeah, right. I, yeah, yeah. The, the smaller ones, the smaller ones, definitely. But even in kind of that like mid size, that mid size range. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I saw. I think um, y'all did some coverage of Joey Hogan from Covenant um, speaking at a conference last week, and you know he. He made a he had a quote in there that said that he's talked to some folks that are seeing as much as twenty five thousand dollars a year per truck and in insurance costs. I mean, yes, that's sim- that's simply unsustainable. Um, it's uh, you know at, at just in the current market environment and conditions and what people actually pay. I thought it was interesting, just kind of bringing all this full circle, hearing Bill talk about helping carriers really understand the true cost of a rate of rate per mile um, and what's their true cost per mile of running their truck. My, like our theory is that the small, like middle market, uh, carriers really underestimate the, both their cost per mile and also the kind of the, the soft cost per mile or the opportunity cost per mile. We think that they, you know, they'll, they, they may, they may deadhead a hundred miles to take something that's 15 cents more a mile because it feels better. But if you actually run the math on it, it's a yeah. colossal waste of time. Um, and so what, Something that I do think is interesting, and Bill talked about how they want to help small and medium carriers run their business better. I think that there's an interesting angle for some of these um, kind of carriers with logistics groups who can say, who can be a better partner for their third party carriers for their brokerage division by offering some of the services that they have either for the, for the owner ops that, that drive for them or for um, that, that they have at their, on their carrier side, on the asset side of the business, how do they offer some of that value prop to those third party carriers? Mm-hmm. So things like this, like discounted insurance or discounted tires or dis, like fuel discounts. I mean, how do they help those small and medium carriers run their business better? And what's, what's, why should that small carrier pull for a night swift versus a uh, coyote logistics? Hey Peter, on your uh, on the article that was posted on Carrier Direct, you, you with your four takeaways. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think you wrote it, but it was four takeaways from the Stiefel Conference. And number two was it's a new day for logistics services. Uh, and in the first sentence, you say the shippers are demanding more from carriers. I was hoping that you could add a little bit more color on on what you guys meant by that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, what one of the things that I really liked about the Stiefel Conference is that it actually had a shipper panel, um, and it's it's interesting. You know, shipper, shippers are looking for more than just moving their freight from point A to point B at the cheapest cost. And I think that that, I think that there are still shippers that are looking for that. But what's interesting is that, um, you know, I, there's been this whole emphasis on visibility over the last couple of years. And our observation is that um, maybe the 2020 contract cycles may still be a little bit too early. But I fun, we fundamentally believe that by the end of this year, enough big shippers will have implemented visibility products and will have the data to better manage their capacity providers. Um, that that coming in that going into the 2021 contract season, we we believe that shippers are going to have 
data to go to their capacity providers and say, hey, you know what? You're five cents a mile cheaper than, than the next person, but your on-time delivery is 79%. And as a result, we're going to pay 10, 5, 10, 15 cents more a mile to a provider that we believe that we know from a data perspective is more consistent. And so what, what we're seeing is that um, logistics companies as a whole can, can enhance their value prop by, by focusing on, um, by, by really focusing on how, on, on like the, what do shippers actually need and not just looking at how do they offer services at a lower cost. Oh no! I was just gonna—I was gonna tell you that. Uh, no, I like that approach. I like your uh, your point there that people kind of forget that technology can technology can be a good thing. It, it doesn't always just cut uh, cut people out of the middle and and lower costs. It can actually help you increase service, uh, and it has time and time again in other industries, and and it is here uh, in freight. Yeah, I mean, I you know, Shelly Simpson, um, Shelly Simpson did a really great you know presentation on their on JB Hunt's uh, 360 platform. She's um, and you know, they, they had a statistic in there that was based on, based on some JB Hunt analysis and some, some market data. Um, you know, they, they looked at the, the total low, total freight moved in the U S and in 2008, around 11% of it was brokered. Uh, in 2017, about 20% of it went through an intermediary and, and their estimate is that by 2024, um, there could be as much as 44% of total freight moved in the country is moving through some third party or brokerage or an intermediary. And I think that that like, you know, 10 years ago, the industry hated the word brokerage and, and mm-hmm. broker. And, and we still run into some, some clients where, you know, um, we're, we're, we're literally not allowed to use the word brokerage. They say it's the B word. It's like, it's like saying Voldemort and Harry Potter or something. Um, <laughs> And so I, I think a lot of it, I, I think that a big part of that kind of, of that tagline is just that the, 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 um, the shipper market as a whole is opening up their mind to working with, with 3PLs and freight brokerages. And there's, there's a big opportunity, particularly for some asset players that have really strong brands to say, to go out there and say, Hey, you're not buying just because it's not moving on a blue truck. Doesn't mean that the Werner brand isn't behind it, for instance. Yeah. Well, very good. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your insights on the Stiefel Conference and and also digital freight matching and, and technology and your contributions to every show. Oh, sure. Yeah, happy happy to be on. I, this is still uh, one of my favorite podcasts and, and love being on. So keep up the great content and always happy to help. We'll do. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Andrew. All right, yeah, man. Thanks, so, soak up the sun for us. It's been raining for months down here. Who's All right. Tiger? I'll work on it. All right. All right. See you guys. All right, he very said, good. That it was sunny and in Chicago. Well, I guess so. it is. It's probably like sunny and ten and, degrees. Yeah, sunny and ten. I'd take sunny and ten over no, rainy and forty. Uh, it's like sixty out there. Is it? I haven't been outside much. Yeah, <laughs> I went outside exactly when it started raining. Oh, great! And I, I, I came out of the restaurant exactly when it started raining again. Yeah, it so. stopped while you were sitting in the restaurant. Exactly. Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Point with you. All right, let's take it home with some long shorts. Let's do it and wrap it up. Okay, Kevin. Uh, don't know if you've noticed, but flip phones are back. There are two new ones that have hit the market uh, or are hitting the market yeah. in the next couple of months. The, the the Motorola Razor is back. Mm-hmm. Motorola has brought out a new one. Uh, and, you know, it's like a plastic screen, so it folds yeah. up and opens and it looks all nice. Uh, and then there's also a, a Samsung Galaxy Z. Uh, both of these phones are over $1,400. They're quite expensive. Uh, first question, have you ever had a smart a flip phone? In, I, I've uh, had many flip phones. So the Motorola Razr is my probably all-time favorite It's phone. a great phone. It, it is. It, was, it really was. It was my second phone. I It was one of my favorites of all time. Love yeah. the Razr. The new one, I don't know if I'm on it yet, but uh, they're jumping back in on it. What, uh, you know, are you are I'm, you long or short flip phones? I You know what? I'm, I'm long... I'm long flip phones because I, I'd rather have a flip phone, actually. I, I really would. There's just too many distractions on an iPhone. Well, they, these things still are smartphones. You know that. Well, I know. They're, they're still fo- smartphones. <laughs> they have but, screens but, on the outside. I but but I, you know what? A flip phone, I, I, I would be long that because they're just too big. I can't so you like, put them you in like my pocket. the compactness. I, I do. I do. Now, whether they'll catch on and, 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 and really scale up and, and gain any market share, probably not. I mean, I'm sure. They, they, 
that they did this a couple years ago too, right? That they 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 tried to re- they tried to bring back the, the, the razor, razor a while ago. Yeah, they, yeah, it wasn't ready. It broke. It was very flimsy. I know, right? It, it I, I just cheap. rather get a, get the old, you know, razor. Just get if the... I could text on it. <laughs> you know, that was that was right when texting really became popular. Right, the, the razor. You had to was, hit. You had to hit the three button uh, eight yeah, times to get to the C. Yeah, of course. That made that that actually did make text messaging a little bit harder. And shorter messages. Now people write novels. Yeah, they to sure you. do. Yeah. And I was like, I this wall of words, I do not want to read it. Well, how about you? Are you um, long short? I'm 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 long flip phones, but in a different flip. I don't think it's gonna flip vertically. I think they'll flip horizontally. I think that will be the next popular kind of mode. Like there. our friend Anthony Smith. Kind of like Anthony's, yeah. yeah. I, he just showed me today yesterday yeah. Friday that it actually wasn't two screens. But I know I, I do think the two screens, like yeah. I don't know if you've seen the movie Her, uh, but it's an AI movie in no. the future and everybody's got this little phone. It's much oh, shorter yeah. and smaller, but it's got two screens. I think that is much more a, a realistic play than the vertical flip. I, I'll agree with you. I, I don't care how it flips, just that it flips. Just that we can have two screens. I know, right? I, I need two screens. Yeah, it's cool. It's actually, I think the the Samsung one, it has like a bend in the middle. Like you can see the, the physical mm-hmm. bend, but they're actually programming software to you can use both screens. Uh, uh, use, as somebody yeah, said, yeah, you, people use their phone vertically 94% of the time. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. My thing is having two vertical screens side by side, not... Uh, but either way, all right. So we know got, what that means. Yeah, I don't know either. It's, it's Jonathan, it, oh, our, yeah, our, know, the right. one and only Jonathan Smith, producing the show um, yes. with random facts coming in at us. All right. So our last one is, you know, last week or two weeks ago, we thought we had seen the craziest stock move uh, of all time. Mm-hmm. We've seen this Tesla, Tesla run yeah. up a hundred and three percent in in three weeks or something. That's been smashed. Now, uh, Virgin Galactic, Richard Branson's uh, baby for for space travel. Um, Codename Space is trading at 300 times revenue. It's the stock is up 3x since Christmas. It's up 100 and 100 and something percent in the last eight days or something. Uh, just ridiculous. Kevin, are you long or short? Virgin Galactic making money, being profitable, doing anything in the future. What, what do you think? I, I hate to short anything Richard Branson does. Yeah, he's a good man. I really like him. Right. So, uh, but but you know, space travel, 250 thousand dollars a ticket. Yep. You know, if they can actually, I mean, I, I think there's demand there for that. Uh, now, can they actually, you know, pull it off over and over again? Uh, we were talking about it earlier, you know, that the Concord crashed, I think, in 2001, 2002, maybe the late 90s, and it grounded all those planes. And I would rather see the Concorde come back than space travel. I'd rather go from from New York to, to, New York to, to London or Paris in three hours uh, I do think that's going to be Virgin Galactic's play. I think they, I think yeah. to to fund the SpaceX has made some other noise about this that they want to do intercontinental travel very quickly, where they go into outer space, basically float up, land back from you know New York to London in, in forty five minutes or two hours. Yeah, like JP uh, said earlier today, I don't know anyone who wakes up and oh man, I have to be in Tokyo in an hour. Well, if you you but, know, you know that's that's the way these kind of things change the way we think about living. They're saying I lo- I would love to live in New York City, but work in London. People can have that thought now because they could go from New York to London and back in a day, and, and it wouldn't be any. It, it would cost be like you maybe like half a million dollars a, a day yeah, for the commute. Got, no, it wouldn't cost you that much. No, no. Uh, uh, Elon Musk has come out and done some numbers on it. He thinks that he can get it down to close to what an actual price of a ticket would be right now. Well, I he he says a lot of things. Yeah, he does. So let's say it's double. But either way, there are people that can afford it. You know, there there are people that can do it for how much. Let's say it's double the price of a normal ticket. A normal ticket would cost you five hundred bucks round trip, a thousand bucks. There are bucks people a day. that could, you know, but you're going to live in the U.S. and commute to Tokyo or Europe every day. Yeah. I mean, there, there are. I think there are people. Or maybe let's say it's like a weekend thing. You know, you go there and back in a weekend. You can, but you can, you can live your life in different places. It's a completely new mode of transport. I, I'm kind of leaning in. I'm kind of leaning into my long. I'm, I'm both long yeah. the intercontinental travel on spaceships and on rocket ships like uh, SpaceX and Virgin Galactic are planning. And I'm also very long um, commercial space flight. I think that that is uh, definitely a mode for the. It'll become kind of similar to the way that Elon planned for cars. He wanted to build a couple at very expensive and then build cheaper ones at a mm-hmm. at a much bigger pace. I think that's how it's going to go. They're they're going to send people up for $250,000 a ticket. There in the beginning, they they get that going for a year or two, then they bring down the cost of transportation, bring down the cost of everything, and it eventually gets to a point where, you know, a normally rich person could spend $50,000 and go. Not you're not a super rich billionaire. Well, you know, let me know when they can um they they can 
you know, throw me up in space. And have a, you seen the video and, and, and of a, the takeoff? I, I can't think of a a, a a gremlin or something, right? A really cheap car. Oh, you know, a, throw a me up in. You know, I, I the Yugoslavia had one, and I can't think of the name of it. Oh, there's a, the Indian cars, the Tata. Yeah, the Tata. Yeah, send yeah. me in space and Tata, and then we can talk. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, okay. I don't know. I, uh, but how about this? This is what they've got. This is their this is their math behind this. It's a uh, three ships. That's what they've got right now. Five trips per month per ship with six passengers per flight at two hundred fifty thousand dollars per seat. So that's four hundred fifty million dollars annually uh, in revenue. This company is trading at at a market value of over five billion dollars right now. That's how yeah, that's yeah. how crazy they, they are. They are pre-profit. They're basically pre-revenue. They haven't really made any money exactly, uh, and they're worth five or six billion dollars. Well, I can open up a spreadsheet. We can both open up, uh, open up a spreadsheet and and have a company that's valued at ten billion dollars without yeah without send people to space. Yeah. All right. So so anyway, but that does it for this episode of Great Quarter Guys. Thank you to Bill Vitti again from Truck Stop and and. Uh, Book It Now app, and of course, always Peter Rensler from our friends at Carrier Direct. It's been a great show, and see you guys next week. All right.